The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. As we constantly move forward, there's a continuing and urgent need for higher education. It's necessary for tomorrow's future and for a dynamically changing workforce. As the need for education is changing, so is education itself. Welcome to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education with your host, Dave Goldberg. In this program, we'll discuss the complex changes that are being made to higher education today, and we'll help you stay ahead of tomorrow. If you're a student, educator, or in the workforce. Now, here's Dave Goldberg. Good day, and welcome to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. I'm Dave Goldberg. I'm your show host, and Big Beacon is a movement to transform higher education at bigbeacon.org. In every episode, we explore some of the innovators and innovations that are changing the world of higher education all around us. Our first segment is sponsored by the book that is transforming higher education, A Whole New Engineer, The Coming Revolution in Engineering Education at wholenewengineer.org. It's not just for engineers anymore. And today we're fortunate to be joined by a pair of folks from the uh, my former stomping ground, the University of Illinois. We've got with us uh, Laura Hahn, uh, director of the uh, of AE Cubed, and uh, Matt West, a faculty member in uh, mechanical sciences engineering. Uh, welcome, science and engineering. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you. Thanks. Hey, it's great to have you with us. And and of course, uh, well, actually, I. Uh, Laura, you and I met in the early, the opening moments of iFoundry back in about 2007 or 8 or something like that. And you moved on and kind of boomeranged back to the University of Illinois. And Matt, you and I met uh, uh, when I returned to campus once and uh, heard about some of the great stuff you were doing in uh, education reform. But uh, And we want to talk about those things, but we like to get to know our guests a little bit before we uh, uh, get started. So, Laura, our our listeners mm-hmm. can read more about you on the program page. But uh, what one or two things should they know about you before we get started? Mm-hmm. Well, I think uh, maybe the most important thing is uh, that I love being at the University of Illinois, and I have my academic roots and my family roots here in Champaign Urbana, and. Uh, I don't say kind of as broken as it's been because of state funding and a lot of other yeah. things at Illinois. I am really excited to be here. It's yeah, it's uh, I you know when I read the papers and I moved away from from Illinois about three years ago, but I read the you know we all read the papers and things are are tough in Illinois and it's it it it's hard to love and it's I'm glad to hear that uh, your love for it hasn't diminished, Matt. Uh, um, same question. What what one or two things should our listeners know about you before we get started? Well, I guess in in this context, um, you know, I'm I'm faculty in mechanical engineering and associate professor there, yep. and my uh, academic work is in scientific computing. But in the past maybe five years, I've really gotten a lot of involvement in uh, engineering education, and that's been a sort of a big 
shift uh, for me, both in terms of how I spend my time and how I think about what we're doing uh, at the university. Yeah, now I want to ask you about that in a, in a in a minute as well. But and another question I like to ask guests on the show, you know, so in a whole new engineer, Mark Somerville and I talk about the centrality of unleashing young people today. That education used to be kind of pouring stuff into kids' heads, and now we need to uh, light a fire um, in them to, so that they can make their own world. What? Um, what yeah, let's start go back to you Laura what early influences or singular or special experiences or people in your lives uh, your life uh, have given you the courage to go your own way to be unleashed hmm well I'm not an engineer myself but I, I do come from a family of engineers so I think that is partially influencing my interest in what I'm doing now um Another thing that had a big impact on me was reading a particular book um, called The Speed of Trust, which has to do with how, um, fostering trust in organizations. And it, I found it to be very practical and kind of like my, I use it as my lens for a lot of um, interactions that I have and things that we're trying to accomplish in AE3. Yes, yeah, that's uh, the younger Stephen Covey's uh, mm-hmm. famous, famous book on on trust, and yeah, you know, so trust is one of those things that we talk a lot about, but sometimes we're not very clear about, and so even getting a little clarity around it sometimes is a really big, um, a a big thing for us. Matt, what about what about you? Uh, same question. What uh, you know? So actually, uh, going. You know, at a, at a place like the University of Illinois, kind of going going off and doing educational stuff isn't exactly uh, necessarily the thing that's going to um, get the accolades of your of your peers necessarily. What what allowed you to go your own way and unleash yourself to do the stuff that you thought needed to be done? Yeah, for me, it was really kicked off by actually sort of by this program that the College of Engineering started four and a half years ago. So now this this Strategic Constructional Initiatives, or, or SIP program. Um, and the thing that was really motivating for me there was that we, we uh, put together these teams of faculty to target problematic courses or, or other large education reforms on campus. And it was a real revelation sort of working with my, my colleagues to do this sort of thing. So I guess I'd always sort of taught essentially in isolation and really spending years actually at a time as it turned out uh, working with other people and sort of thinking very deeply about what we were doing and what we were trying to achieve with with our undergraduate program that was the big turning point for me was just just the sense of community and the all the things i learned from working working together on that okay great and and um and laura let's head back to you so you're director of um uh, uiuc's um, ae cubed uh, academic mm-hmm. Academy for Excellence in Engineering Education, uh, if yeah. I've got the name right. And so what can you tell us about that organization? What should we know about it? Well, AE3 um, is one of the programs that we, that we work with is the Strategic Instructional Innovations Program that um, Matt just mentioned. Uh, but more broadly, we are uh, trying to uh, work with faculty and get them connected to each other in ways that get them excited about uh, the ways that we're educating our students and kind of bringing kind of a culture of innovation into um, into the, the 
the work of educating our students. In addition to this SIP program, we have a program for first-year faculty uh, where we try to build community with them and help them learn um, about teaching effectiveness, and uh, we have a similar program for um, our, our teaching track faculty. Yeah, and actually, what, AECubed goes back, if I remember my history right, uh, from when I was there when AECubed, I came to Illinois before such a thing existed, and I remember when it came into being. Mm -hmm. So I think AECubed was started by a faculty member named Pete Delisle, who was, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, is that, is that fair? Yeah, I think he and Bruce Litchfield maybe together together started it yeah mm -hmm. okay and so uh, back and and Pete was actually a kind of a uh, in a weird faculty position called the severance chair for human behavior which was intentionally trying to um, think about the human side of uh, engineering education which itself was back in the 90s not that common a, a thing and what the original charge was more the teaching improvement which back in the 90s mm -hmm. was also kind of a special thing if I'm not mistaken some yeah, of the issues around community have come since if, 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 if I recall correctly that sounds right mm -hmm. yeah okay and so um, and and you know, Matt, you're a faculty member in um, um, the uh, what used to be called mechanical engineering. I think it's what mechanical science and engineering at at, at UIUC. And you know, I remember a time not that not that long ago, maybe you know, late two thousand, you know, two thousand eight nine that you know 10 where a faculty member who hoped to be tenured in say a department like mechanical engineering or really any of the rigorous uh, faculty of of UIUC who kind of went off and did uh, undergraduate stuff as a primary um, or even very loudly would be warned by senior faculty members that that was not a good career move um, and you mentioned that it, it was the SIP program that got you off there. It, what's been the reaction of your your colleagues? Do you still is is it still the case where those kinds of warrant those kinds of warnings are given that this might not be a good thing for your career that you should really get yourself in into that computational lab or what's what's the has there been a cultural shift? What what can you tell me about the the way in which your work is being received? Yeah, so I think it's it's a really good question because this this sort of strikes at the heart of of trying to actually change things is this sort of cultural change, yeah. and I think uh, certainly University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, definitely a research focused university, particularly in engineering, still very much is. There's definitely no doubt that uh, you know our tenure track faculty all are you know excelling in research, and that's probably the primary thing that people you know are still doing. But I think there has been some some shift, and I think it's you know we've sort of seen it over the last five years, where it started really from not very much, and now now there's some movement towards people actually spending uh, I'd say a little more of their time yeah. thinking more deeply about education and about teaching. Uh, so I think there's always been excellent teaching, of course. You know we've had individual faculty who've just been you know outstanding educators and outstanding teachers, and have really done some great stuff. And, of course, UAUC has a long legacy going back to big projects like Plato of really, um, you know, innovating in, in major ways in education. But uh, I think that the, 
the recent change has been really that, that people are starting to work together and talk more about this. So we sort of, I definitely hear a lot more conversations, you know, with junior faculty and with my, my mid-career and even late-career colleagues, just people getting more excited about working together and actually sort of trying to do something substantial with education. Yeah, and 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 Matt, you called out the centrality for you of this um SIP program, the Strategic Instructional Initiatives uh, Program. What is what is uh, SIIP at the University of Illinois? Yeah, so this was a, a college-funded program. So the College of Engineering put some put some money in initially, and the basic idea is that faculty get together in teams and they apply for these grants from the college, very similar to a traditional research grant. I think that's actually one of the things that works really nicely is we're all used to applying for federal research funding and other type of research funding. And it's really like that. So you get, you get a group of your colleagues together that you like working with and you're all excited about some idea, say, you know, transforming one of our big intro courses or trying out some new way of teaching. And then you write a proposal and it's reviewed and it's quite competitive. And then the college will, you know, hopefully fund you to work, work as a team for on the order of one to three years, depending on how, how major the change is that people are trying to make. And there's, and so that's the sort of the, the baseline part of it. And then the, the second layer that I was involved with quite a lot and I think has really been really important to, to making this culture change is that there are a team of faculty called Education Innovation Fellows who sort of work across the departments in the college and they work to sort of mentor these teams, the SIP teams, and to sort of basically just try and enhance communication and tell people about what else is going on. You know, at a huge research university like this, half the time you just don't know that there's somebody over in electrical engineering that's actually doing something great that we could just copy or we could work together and we're totally unaware of this. And so I think having these, these EIFs or Education Innovation Fellows uh, has been really important for sort of getting good ideas moved around and, and helping people to spread knowledge about what, what they're doing and what they need. Laura, what would you add to that? Well, I would just um, reiterate that the, that the EIFs are Education Innovation Fellows. I really feel like, um, first of all, they're fantastic um, very committed faculty members who who care deeply about teaching and learning in the college, and they really are the driving force behind SIP rather than it being sort of an administrative thing. Um, they they do a great job of cross pollinating ideas with each other, and kind of as Matt said, um, <laughs> everything's so decentralized here. It's, it's they've just really served as like a connecting force on these projects. Nice. And um, listen, regular listeners of this program and uh, readers of A Whole New Engineer are familiar with the story of iFoundry and, and uh, back to 2007 and 2009 um, and, uh, and how that went forward. How, how mm-hmm. would you characterize the relationship between uh, AEQ'd and SIIP and, and uh, the iFoundry efforts of those times? Well, I've, one thing that comes to mind with with SIP is um, from iFoundry this uh, model of an incubator, and I feel like that is one of the one of the things that helped these SIP teams, um, and one of the things that we kind of 
emphasize with them is, you know, it's okay if you try something and it fails. <laughs> Let's learn from it and try it again or, you know, get this new idea yeah. and run with it for a while. And even if, you know, the impact isn't what they expected, we just feel like as long as there's a team of people who are working on something and trying and trying again, that, that, is, that is the great value. Matt? Yeah, I think iFoundry really paved the way for a SIP. You know, I think lots of the ideas that, that it was promoting, um, you know, particularly particularly the sort of idea of entrepreneurship and education. And so I think of it as a real, like, an engineering approach to education where, where you know, we're going to look at the theory. Of course, there's there's some underlying knowledge we have to have, but also we're going to get in there and we're going to we're going to be engineers and we're going to we're going to build stuff in terms of educational systems and try it out. And when it doesn't work, we'll we'll fix it. Um, and so I think iFoundry really uh, led the way there. And in fact, lots of the sort of specific ideas that iFoundry had prototyped have now sort of turned into SIP projects and things like that. So I think the, the big change for, for SIP was to take the iFoundry idea of incubation, innovation, entrepreneurship, and then figure out how to make it much more grassroots across the whole yeah. college. So nice. I think that was the, you know, iFoundry was doing fantastic work, but what we needed to do was to, to really get you know, a much larger proportion of the 400 faculty members in engineering on board with these ideas. And I think it was sort of unleashing this, this sort of grassroots innovation where all of our brilliant faculty can start thinking about uh, these sort of changes. That sort of was the, the key addition on top of iFoundry. Yeah, no, nice. I, and, uh uh, I liked the way you said that, and was actually thinking at the time we were thinking of iFoundry as a as an engineering approach. Can we, you know, this a sense of pedagogy as being this theoretical exercise? But why can't we? Why can't we do better? Don't we know how to do better teaching than this? And and um, so yeah, I I, I love that uh, description. Why don't we take a quick break and we'll come back and sort of get uh, you know some of the stuff that has happened is really uh, really very cool and I, I want our listeners to hear about it. Let's let's take a little break. This is uh, Big Beacon Radio with our special guests Laura Hahn and Matt West from the University of Illinois. And uh, stay tuned with us and and uh, we're going to hear from them both about uh, some of the ways that communities of practice practice have become sort of de rigor for uh, educational transformation at Illinois. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of Three Joy Associates help. David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645. Contact him at deg at 3joy.com or browse the 3Joy website, www.3joy.com today. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Kless. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. 
These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel and simulcast at the same time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. 5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show. And welcome back to Big Beacon Radio. The second segment is sponsored by 3Joy Associates at 3Joy.com. Get the training, coaching, and change leadership consultation that will help transform your school or organization. And uh, we're back here with our our special guests, uh, Laura Hahn and Matt West from the University of Illinois. And before the break, we were... We were talking about some of the initiatives in the AE3 or AE cubed uh, uh, program for uh, educational improvement at the University of Illinois. And this segment, one of the things that struck me in preparing for the program is the importance of of uh, community. And the the C word has been was used in the first segment quite a lot, and I think we're going to use it a little bit more here. But academic life tends to be a fairly has been at least historically uh, going back to. The University of Bologna in the um, the distant past, but you know some of the activities going on uh, now at Illinois are explicitly framed as community activities. For example, Matt, the uh, reform of the engineering mechanics sequence, uh, uh, statics, uh, uh, dynamics, and strength of materials, uh, is an example where you explicitly now call out the importance of um, communities of uh, practice. Um, b- before, these courses were traditional courses taught by individual faculty um, in, in the usual way. Back then in the, the, the pre-community days, uh, how, how, did res- how did students respond um, to those classes? Yeah, so my uh, my introduction to those classes actually was at a new, was as a new faculty member at Illinois, and I was assigned to teach dynamics. So these these classes are large; they're sort of three hundred to six hundred students per semester, and they used to be you know chalk and talk, do a homework each week and hand it in, and most students would never pick up the graded homework. And I think, you know, my experience certainly I think was typical. By, the, by about halfway through the semester, I think the students all hated me and I hated them. And it was generally very, very miserable in that classroom. Uh, you know, I think there was just, there, was just uh, there were two main problems. One was simply scale. So, you know, particularly at a large university like UAUC, I think what, we, what we're really learning is that you can't just you can't just you know, take a you know, traditional model where you take one faculty member and put them in front of students and expect to have great outcomes as the number of students rises. So you really need to actually start changing the way you're teaching at scale. And then the other thing was just that it was a very traditional sort of presentation of quite dry material. And so that, that also needs to be changed, obviously, as part of the whole reorientation towards 
um, you know, thinking about professional skills and, and you know, student motivation as a key driver and all these sorts of ideas. Yeah, nice. And, and uh, naturally, uh, just as you were talking, I was thinking back to my early days as a faculty member at the University of Illinois. I, I taught in a mechanics department and taught statics, dynamics, strength material, and fluid mechanics, all four of them at various times. And I remember in dynamics that I, there's a pro- type of problem called a four-bar linkage problem. I gave a four-bar linkage problem for homework, for a quiz, for an hourly exam, and the final exam. And I realized that my teaching was having almost no effect because people still couldn't do it at the end of the class after getting the exact same problem four times in a row. And I'd like to say that that spurred me on to improvement. But, but, but again, I was in a traditional research university, and that wasn't particularly valued. But I, I knew that the, my teaching wasn't having what I thought was the effect, given that, uh, that students kind of checked out and didn't really grass grass material so so part of the secret sauce has been to encourage community um uh now they're t- these courses are team taught what what triggered the move to this kind of community pr- community of practice for teaching these courses i think i really love your anecdote there dave because i think that uh, many of us have had exactly the same feeling when we're teaching in the traditional way where we, we know it's not working and we know it's not really right, but it's hard to know what to do about it. And typically we're so overwhelmed each semester just with making the, making the class actually run and dealing with all the student problems that arise that we're just unable to actually make any serious change. And I think there's really good data out there on this where people have done lots of studies looking at you know, are faculty aware of innovative teaching methods? And the answer is yes. You know, like I think we all actually know about this. And I certainly knew all about these really exciting things that we could be doing differently, but we were unable to make the, make the step to implement it just because we were overwhelmed by each semester as it comes and, and working alone on this problem. And so for us, the, the big change was, was this SIP program that the college initiated, but just sort of basically gave the green light and a little bit of money, but I think more importantly, sort of the knowledge and the, and the power to say that we should get a team together and approach the teaching as a team. And so that was really liberating for us, um, certainly for me, and sort of gave us the, the time and the, the energy to actually start making substantial changes to the way we were teaching. And, um, you know, I think, I think there, you know, I don't want to say it's all workload, but it's a combination of workload and also just feeling like feeling empowered to make a change. And when that change doesn't work, certainly the first time I made a change to active learning in a lecture, for example, it was a, it was a big disaster. Nobody wanted to do active learning. Um, and I think if it had been just me alone, I probably would have just given up at that point and gone back and said, oh, well, active learning's too hard. It doesn't work. Um, you know, we'll go back to chalk and talk. But but because there was you know there were five of my colleagues right there with me and they were all struggling away and they were saying no no you can't give up you got to keep got to keep doing it go back next time and try again that was really what I needed to sort of push me over the edge and I think that now you know we bring new faculty in so now we've cycled up to I think we've now had eleven people cycle throughout our teaching team um, you know lots of lots of them need a bit of a bit of encouragement and push at the start when things don't go so smoothly on day one but. Um, but the team is really essential for that. That's really interesting. And that actually, your story of failure on the first uh, try, what was, it, what was it that failed and what did you learn? Just briefly, what did you learn from that failure? 
Yeah, so for us, this was actually using you know I, these iClicker uh, audience response devices just to try and get the students to do some thinking. And iClickers were actually you know developed at the University of Illinois here in physics, but amazingly hadn't really been used very much outside of physics because I think we were all just too scared. And so we we gave it a go. And I I know I sat there the first lecture, and everybody had their all the students had their iClickers, and and uh, I did I asked them some question, and and they all clicked in. I think I think. 20% got it right, at which point I really started to question what I was teaching at all. And then I really didn't know how to follow up. So I didn't know how to, I was sort of expecting that everybody would get the right answer and we'd just sort of move on with the lecture in the, in the ordinary way. And I sort of freaked out a little bit when suddenly I realized that in fact, the students weren't following along with what I'd been teaching. I, I had assumed the whole class was on board. Uh, and so it took me, now I think I'm much more comfortable with this idea that you know, it's great to get feedback from the students as a as a mass about whether they're understanding what's happening. And if they're not, well, let's just totally derail the lecture. Let's let's start digging into uh, into what we're doing, and you know, uh, we'll see what comes out of that. But at that point, the, the derailment idea was very scary for me. So yeah, uh, and yeah, that's really interesting. And I, I want to come back to I mean, so I think there's an essential point about vulnerability in this. That's at the heart of all of this stuff. But Laura, I want to check in with you. So Matt's talking about stuff in the trenches, but you you know, you're you know, you're a director and you get to see these things across the board. What what would you like to add to that? Well, I think that one thing that I would like to add, like in terms of um, you know, just this community building uh, is to it re- Talk a little bit more about this program that we have for first-year faculty where, um, you know, they spend a year with us, you know, meeting once a week and talking about teaching. I feel like we're kind of priming them for, um, you know, becoming more involved in SIP teams later on and even maybe right away, um, just like creating creating this sort of culture where it's, a, it's good to talk about teaching and share these failures and things like that with each other. And I think, you know, now that we've had a a pretty good set of like three or four years where that program has been really strong, I feel like they're going to start feeding into into these SIP successes more and more. Yeah, no, that's an interesting point. I think I think in the old days, you know, A-Cube's been around for a long time, and I think in the old mm-hmm. days you got people primed and they were aware. They went through these programs, as Matt was saying, they were aware of this stuff, but then what do you do with it once yeah. you're in trouble and who do, who can you talk to? And, and there were attempts to build community, but they were sort of abstract communities. Here you're talking about a community that's actually doing something, and the idea of active community seems like an important one, but I, I want to return to this point that actually Matt was alluding to. The essential, you know, so would, you, this freak out that you mentioned really was a freak out. Essentially, the um, you, I'm hearing the freak out as sort of a vulnerability freak out. You realize that your teaching wasn't effective, and it was sort of being revealed to the to the world. And the freak out was, oh my God, I you know I'm not the teacher I thought I thought I was. And it seems to me that a lot of being prepared for these kinds of experiences is being vulnerable to however things come out, you know, so they, they work or they don't work, but it's like this idea that, you know, that, that the things that we say aren't necessarily going to be taken in the way we intend them. And that's okay too. It's, you know, it's, uh, things are, things come out the way they come out. It's, it's a moving from this expert that's bestowing knowledge on kids to more of a coach like 
thing where we say, all right, well, here's what I said. Now, how did you get that? And, oh, you didn't get it. Okay, that's all right. And as you were saying, Matt, that you got, you've gotten increasingly comfortable with that. I said a lot of stuff there, but how, how do you react to what I just said? I really like what you said about vulnerability because I think that's, that's sort of at the, the core of it. I, I also didn't realize when I you know, went into this whole business of starting to think carefully about teaching you know, how much failure would be involved and how much you know, rethinking of you know, everything actually from the ground up, what we're trying to achieve and how we're trying to achieve it would be necessary. Um, and I think you know, we definitely see that both sort of on a micro level. You know, you're in the classroom and you try out, you, know, you try and get students to work in teams for the first time and they, they all basically refuse to work in teams and then what do you do about that? It's pretty scary when it happens. But also just in terms of changing, changing around the way we teach courses or, or even restructuring the, the whole course sequence, you know, I think often these things don't go so well the first time. It's sort of, in some sense, you know, that's what we should expect from an engineering approach to things is that your first prototype is never the final answer. Uh, and there's going to be a lot of problems with your first pro- prototype. But you have to be able to sort of push through that and actually learn from failure in a useful way. So I think that we've been trying to think really hard, I think Laura alluded to this earlier, about how to think about failure in this sense and what, what we mean by failure. Because I think that the, you know, the naive definition of failure is that we change a course in some way and the, student, you know, the students all don't like it and so then they complain about the change. And you could think of that as failure. And if you do, I think you're never going to make any changes at all because all changes are resisted initially. So I think we've been trying to really, you know, retarget ourselves to to try and get the idea that failure is if you is if you stop stop measuring and stop changing and stop thinking, and that's failure. So for us, uh, we see sort of success. I think um, as if there's a team of faculty who are really you know, working well together and they're actually measuring something about student learning or, or student engagement or something about, about how well things are working and are they using that data to, to actually drive further improvement. So if that cycle is there, then that's success, even if the, the individual changes being made may be sort of failing by a traditional measure at the moment. Um, and so I think sort of being okay, being being sort of ex- being okay with living in this world where things are not working and you're going to be sort of perpetually changing and and trying things, uh, you know, that's definitely this. It does expose a lot of vulnerability if uh, if you're not used to that. But I think being okay with that is where we have to get to if we're actually going to be able to make change. Um, well, and, and I think this brings up a, you know, another point too that you know so there, things can be resisted by faculty and things can be resisted by students and things can be resisted by administration and all three of forms of resistance can be fairly strong we felt all of those fairly strongly in in iFoundry I think this mm-hmm. the one that we had expect the least we think that oh well the students will embrace this stuff but why should they? They're used to, yeah. they know what the game is. They, you know, so you, yeah. you do the problems, hand in the homework, get the grade, and uh, you, you, you go to the frat party. I mean, so, you're, you know, done. And, and to change that and say, no, it's uh, something, and no, uh, we want you to be, show up more authentically. We want you to really learn. We want you to be in charge of your learning. Of course they're going to, of course they're going to resist that. I think a lot of um, things that, one thing that has helped that issue quite a lot, and we ha- I know faculty in these teams have faced this, that, you know, student resistance to trying something new. And I think a lot of them are finding that the more, I mean, the more, it's just like, 
anybody, right? The more you explain the purpose for it yes. and sort of get them on board as, oh, we're trying something new, you know, and here's, here's why we're putting you in teams this way or here's why we're having you talk to each other. Just to like including the students in that rationale and kind of getting their buy-in that way, I think it's worked. It's, we're still working on it, but that's one of the things that's been helping. Well, and some of the work that Mark and I do in our workshops is all about story. And we, I think one of the things we learned in iFoundry is that a lot of this is about telling the story. And the interesting thing about students is if you tell them a new story and they buy it, their behavior can change almost immediately. But if you don't tell them the story and you just start doing different weird stuff, they're going to resist you as much as the the most conservative faculty member. But if you sort of tell them a story that they buy, that all of a sudden they can be doing something different. This the stuff that was odd, they can be if, if they buy into the story, they can be doing it. Now I've seen that time and time again that that mm-hmm. that telling of a story, and I find that a lot of new program development is about telling stories and changing them as people react to them. It's like, so what, what stories are people buying about the thing? Comment? I think that definitely applies to, to faculty at least as much as students. Yeah. I am, um, yes. you know, we've been, of course, <laughs> everybody's people. We, um, you know, one thing, one thing we've been thinking a lot about is the, the difference at Illinois between research culture and teaching culture. So, you know, in, in the, of course, you know, it's uh, Illinois is uh, well known for its extremely uh, high quality research culture. And there people are totally used to all sorts of things like working together. You know, we, we're constantly writing grants in teams and working on joint research projects together. And, uh, and also we're totally used to the idea of, of sort of failure and trying again. And, uh, and we don't really expect that anything's going to work the first time. But somehow we just, we've had a completely different teaching culture where it's you know, incredibly isolated, things have to work, there's no, no tolerance of, of, of change, um, all things which would be complete anathema if, if we sort of thought about them in a research context. And so one of the things we've been thinking about is how do you sort of port across that, you know, aspects of that, that research culture into, into the teaching culture. Beautiful. Okay, let's take a break and we'll come back. We'll talk a little bit more about uh, stuff that's going on now and, and things that you'd like to see or the things, uh, the, what the future looks like. Uh, this is Big Beacon Radio with our special guests, Laura Hahn and Matt West uh, from the University of Illinois. In the next segment, we want to uh, talk a little bit more about uh, some of this, these communities of practice and, and uh, what's next. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Do you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of Three Joy Associates help. David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645. Contact him at deg at 3joy.com or browse the 3Joy website, www.3joy.com today. 
We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show. And welcome back to Big Beacon Radio. And our final uh, segment is sponsored by Big Beacon Radio itself. Advertise on this show and reach some of the most committed reformers and transformers in education today. Write to me, Dave Goldberg, at deg at bigbeacon.org to reach your audience today. So uh, we're, we're back with uh, Laura Hahn and Matt West from the University of Illinois. In the last segment we ended, uh, we were talking a little bit about uh, stories and and Laura, you said that the, this whole notion of storytelling and story reframing um, um, pushed one of your buttons. What uh, what stories can you tell us about stories at the University of Illinois? Mm-hmm. Well, I, just to kind of pick up on something that Matt said about how these innovations get spread. I mean, we we do know a lot about, from the research about what works in classrooms and what doesn't, and all this research is out there, but I think it was just like this idea of faculty telling each other stories about what was happening in their classrooms really kind of got these um, connections across teams going better, and I, and I just feel like um, there are faculty, like one of our education innovation fellows, for example, kind of, um, to me, this kind of captures some of the issues about feeling um, previously isolated, just like one of the reasons that he d- decided to become an innovation fellow. He was like, well, I got tenure. I need to figure out how I'm going to focus my um, my priorities. And he's like, I realize that I don't know much about teaching or other people who care about teaching. So I feel like the SIP project has been a, a SIP program has been a way for us to draw these people in. Yeah, Matt, what would you add to that? No, I think I think the storytelling is really key. You know, we uh, we're although although we're all you know sort of engineers and and hard scientists, and we should be looking at data. Uh, we know very well that we you know we look at all these papers that show, for example, that you know students doing uh, complicated project project work in teams with each other is a really great way of of getting them to uh, you know develop some of the sorts of skills that engineers need, but. We've had very little adoption of that that sort of style of teaching uh, on campus traditionally, and what we what I've seen really works is where we get somebody we put together two two faculty members, one of whom has actually done this successfully, and then I would I heard this you know I heard this from uh, one of my colleagues in in electrical engineering, who sort of basically just sort of told me. What a what a class feels like where where students are working on projects together, and you know that for me was was one of the things that was sort of necessary to sort of make it make it click about you know like what is the what is it the, what is the essential idea here that we need to be need to be thinking about? Yeah, it's interesting that you yes, you know, and you called out the feeling of what a class feels like, and I I guess I get a you know, and I I I, I don't object to the term. I actually do object to the term evidence-based um, 
methods to a certain extent. Not that I'm against evidence, but it <laughs> seems to me that um, it it's somehow that that has priority against actually paying attention to what you feel as a faculty member. I, you know, I told the story of my own inadequacy as a faculty member and knowing it. I knew that I wasn't doing a good job, but it's a matter of did I did I choose to do something about it? And and so there's a, a sense in which there's uh, and 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 now we use the we talk about culture. I still think, especially in a rational profession like engineering, that it's hard to talk about uh, talk about feeling and to, and to treat um, feeling as important. And I think actually storytelling is one of the ways that we can, in a socially acceptable way, communicate emotion as well as data in um, in in a. A human experience. And it seems to me that that's part of the reason that storytelling is so important is that it actually allows us to include emotion in the in the picture where otherwise we sort of have to keep it all evidence-based. Yeah, and I think the other really, really crucial thing that we've observed there is that it's very important who's telling the story. Mm. So one of the problems that, that I think we'd encountered previously is that the Faculty members would hear from somebody, you know, there'd be, you'd have, we'd have, we have many, many great uh, groups on campus and, you know, center for teaching and learning type groups with experts in education, but uh, somehow, uh, like a faculty member in engineering doesn't really listen very carefully. Or the story, the story is being told in, in using language and using words that don't resonate with them when it comes from somebody who's who's different to them or or outside of their normal group of colleagues. And it's radically different when an engineering faculty member hears from another engineering faculty member what it feels like in the class or, or what they're trying to achieve. And that's when suddenly they'll, they'll, their ears will perk up and people will start paying attention. I know I'm guilty of this myself, but I've just seen it time after time after time where you know, two people can tell the same story, but only one of them will be listened to. And it has to be sort of told in this you know, in authentic language from the, the standpoint of the listener in some sense. Yeah. And I and you know and so I would say that you know one of the you know the legacies of AE cubed and iFoundry and all these programs is that uh, I would argue that Illinois is emotionally and culturally a different place than it was say ten years ago, and but um, but I'm not there anymore. So in uh, to what extent or in what ways is is Illinois say uh, culturally and emotionally uh, and the College of Engineering uh, different than say. Pre, uh, prior to these efforts. So I think I think you uh, you know your division you used earlier of administration and faculty and students, I and mean, that's definitely the right way to be thinking about this because I think we've seen changes in all all three groups. So students, uh, you know, I won't say too much about that. I think people, you know, definitely understand how students today are are changing. Um, I think our students are, are definitely becoming more receptive to. Uh, you know some of these new new ways of educating people, and and also more demanding of this in some cases. Yeah. And I think the administration is also becoming uh, more receptive and appreciative of, of education innovation. Our, I certainly would would single out our, our current dean and associate dean for for being huge supporters of education innovation. But uh, I think my feeling is that the actually the the core changes amongst the faculty body 
because, you know, administration comes and goes and students come and go, but the culture amongst the faculty is what really sets the, the tenor of what's going to happen at a university. And so I think what we're seeing at Illinois is a, it's really not universal by any means. I think these, these large cultural shifts don't happen in five years, that's for sure. But I think we're seeing a growing number of people embedded in all kinds of different departments across engineering who are really sort of thinking very carefully about, about education and, and sort of starting to really, really care about what's happening. And I think most importantly, because I think there's always been people like that, but the biggest change is that these people now actually know who each other are and they're sort of routinely talking to each other and in particular working with each other sort of collaboratively on projects like this. And I think it's that that real sort of actually working together on these projects that's the big, the big change. Yeah, Laura, what would you like to add to that? Well, I just I say I, I feel like that's the biggest part of my job is like helping people make these connections and knowing who's working on project-based learning and who's working on, you know, team formation and things and then not so much, you know, being sort of the... Um, the dictator or the, the sure. you know person to say here's the best practices or whatever, but just like okay, you want to work on this? Go talk to this person in bioengineering, or you know you you want to you're wondering why this is not working. You need to go talk to someone else. And I feel like getting these teams, you know, through the education innovation fellows, but um, just getting people to talk to each other, I think has just I think that's the most exciting part to me. Well, and and um, yeah, and it seems as though that you know one of the things that's different about leading these kinds of efforts is it's a different kind of leadership. It's not traditional hierarchical leadership, leadership and being directive and following orders. This kind of dot connecting across boundaries and the kinds of conversations. Um, uh, Joel Kutcher Gershenfeld used the term lateral alignment. And I, a term that I like a lot, that it sort of cuts across levels of a hierarchy and, and connects dots in, in ways. And, and getting people that can lead in that way uh, without being directive and without being followed in a traditional directive kind of way is, is, is uh, one challenge of this. But I think one of the things I want to turn to as we um, come towards the end of the program is that, you know, the, the efforts at Illinois are remarkable and the spread of them is remarkable and uh, that they're sustained is remarkable. remarkable. And I guess, I, what are some of the keys to these efforts sustaining themselves and, and, and then diffusing and growing and, and spreading even more? Um, uh, let's start with you, Matt, and then we'll get Laura in on this. So I think, I think here, again, you really need a, a strong interaction between sort of administration and administrative policies and the faculty who are actually, actually doing the teaching. So I think that it is important to have sort of administrative structures that, that recognize things like faculty teams. So mm. you know, I think the traditional way, for example, of doing course assignments where uh, the head of department or the associate head just sits down and makes a big table. And, makes a big table, you know, yeah. Yeah, various people get assigned to teach various things. I think that that's extremely destructive of, of education innovation because what you will typically see is that somebody, you know, somebody thinks, okay, I'm going to introduce project-based learning in this particular class, and then they, they go to a huge amount of effort and design of some great, great activities and manage to get the students on board. 
Uh, and then the next semester, some other random person is assigned a teacher, and it all falls apart, and the students are unhappy again, and yeah. uh, it's just a total disaster. And so I think, I think sort of one of the great things about teams is making sure that doesn't happen, that the people who are cycling through a class or teaching it together, they're all on board, they're all working on the same, the same page when it comes to the teaching reforms. And so I think the administration has to sort of officially recognize the existence of these teams and make sure that they're in particular doing, doing course assignment uh, in that way. And I think for faculty, sort of transmitting the culture of how do we teach this class, you know, what skills are important for students when they're learning a certain subject, to, to sort of carry that forward over the years and slowly evolve it, that's something that really requires a lot of talking. So you can't yeah. just hand off a set of lecture notes and somehow magically convey the, the nature of a class. So it's really, it's, you know, it really requires spending lots of hours together talking about things, arguing, you know, what, what do we, how do we think we should teach this, what's important for students to learn. So I think we really need to, um, I, I think that this sort of team and community approach to both, you know, how faculty are interacting and then also how administration is interacting with faculty is really important. Yeah. Laura, I want to I come back to something you started with. Uh, you talked about um, the Covey book on trust being uh, one, of your, um, um, one of your North Stars in terms yeah. of how this works. And I, I want to come back to trust here at the end. So one of the themes in uh, Whole New Engineer is a sense of trust in students leads them to have the courage to take initiative on their own behalf. And I, I, so I'm wondering, um, so there's a sense in, as we reform education, are we are we are we trust are we um, it sort of seems to me to still be a frontier out there wait, waiting to be explored more uh, to, to what extent can we can we invest more trust in our students and and unleash them more what and and, and how does that connect to this, what's going on at Illinois well I, I think it it goes both ways right that faculty need to trust students and students need to trust faculty. And I do think there are some kind of very specific things that, um, that, that we can do uh, just in terms of creating transparency, um, you know, acknowledging that, you know, we're working on things, getting things better, uh, being accountable, uh, listening to students and their aspirations, um, and just maybe more of a partnership then I've, I feel like has probably been has had been the case in the past. Mm-hmm. So we just have a little bit of time left. If if people want to find out more about what's going on uh, in in these efforts, uh, how to how to is there a URL or an email address they should uh, uh, contact in order to find out more? AE three has a website, um, and they can also contact me Elhan at Illinois.edu. We also welcome visitors anytime. That'd be fun to meet some of the people who are listening great well, i appreciate uh, thank you both for uh, joining the show uh, keep up the the good stuff at uh, illinois and we'll look forward to hearing uh, about uh, how things change uh, down the road thank you dave thanks. special thanks to our guests uh, laura Hahn and matt west from the university of illinois help transform higher education join the movement to unleash a new generation of innovators by learning more at bigbeacon.org join us next week same time same channel as we continue our quest to transform higher education 
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.